0: Hello and welcome to self work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist and I've lived and worked in Fayetteville, Arkansas for about 28 years. I decided five years ago to reach out to the podcast community. I wanted to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be very interested in psychology or dealing with emotional or traumatic issues, but I also wanted to reach out to those that might have been just diagnosed with depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder, or you're having a relationship issue that you just can't seem to wrap around, but also to a third group of you, to those of you who might tell a friend, you know, I don't understand people who go to therapy. I think that's weak. I really would love for you to listen to self-work because I want to say to you that coming into therapy is actually one of the most courageous things that anyone can do. I'm so thrilled that we have Dr. Caroline Leaf on today. She's literally a world-renowned neuroscientist, mental health and mind expert. She's written a whole bunch of books. Her most recent one is called Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, which she also has a podcast by that name. She was kind enough to have me on her podcast when Perfectly Hidden Depression came out. And not only am I honored to return the favor, but I found her again to be very humble while also absolutely brilliant. We had a fascinating conversation about the mind-brain connection and how this plays into mental health, self-talk, and how our minds differ from our brains. Very, very different. Your mind is different from your brain. And why learning the difference is important for you to handle your emotions and do the work that you need to do either mentally or emotionally. And guys, some of the more recent research findings not only prove that the unconscious mind, or as she calls it, the non-conscious mind, is running 24-7 and is on constantly. Actually, in brainwave research, there's proof of the unconscious mind and its power. I also want to say, you know, I'm always what you can do about it. And she has a system called mind management that, when done correctly, helps facilitate talk between the different areas of your mind, the conscious mind, the subconscious mind, and the non-conscious mind. Again, some people call that the unconscious. She calls it non-conscious She gives you not only a timetable that you can follow, but five steps to do every day. And she's got research study after research study that shows that that particular period of time is very helpful. And it's the way the mind grows and works and then changes. That's what you want to do. Mind management is beginning to change how the mind actually processes and gets your brainwave slowing in a healthy way. I hope you really listen to this. I'm actually going to put this on YouTube because she uses a lot of physical props and I'll let you know when that is out. But before we listen in, here's a quick message from Athletic Greens 1 or AG1, the way I start my morning every day. In fact, we visited friends this weekend and they wanted to know all about it as I poured the powder and water into a cup and drank it down first thing in the morning. It's called AG1 and it's really good stuff. So let's hear from them. I've been talking to y'all about Athletic Greens now for a few months as they're our newest sponsor here at Self Work. But they have a new name and spirit. It's AG1. Just like with Athletic Greens, you take one tasty scoop of AG1 that contains 75 vitamins. That's 75 minerals and whole food sourced ingredients, which include a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. But Athletic Greens 1 has some really exciting news about the directions they're taking as a company. And I'm proud to tell you about them. Last year, they joined the How to Recycle program. This initiative tells you exactly how to dispose of your products and what goes where. Now, How to Recycle has evaluated all of AG's product packaging And from their feedback, the company's been able to increase the recyclability of their products, reduce the amount of plastic they're using, and increase their use of recycled content. And they're proud to announce that they've officially committed to become climate-neutral certified and are hard at work looking at all of their 2020 emissions. And last but not least... Since Athletic Greens 1 believes that access to nutrition is a fundamental human right, they're excited to announce a new partnership with No Kid Hungry to help serve nutritious meals to children across the United States. They've committed to donating 10 cents for every Athletic Greens order to No Kids Hungry for an entire year. So to make your ordering easy, Athletic Greens will give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2, which I've learned actually must be taken together to be effective, D3 and K, and I take that every morning, with five free travel packs with your first purchase. Since you're a listener here at SelfWork, and the code is athleticgreens.com slash selfwork. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash self-work to take control of your health and to give Athletic Greens 1 a try. One of my clients asked me not too long ago, do you really take that stuff? Every morning, I promise, and it has made a difference. I noticed that I've just got more energy, and it actually just psychologically helps me believe I'm starting my morning in a really good direction. Hope you'll join me. That's athleticgreens.com slash self-work so here again i cannot be more pleased and honored to present to you dr caroline leaf Thank you, Caroline, so much for being here. I really appreciate it. You were so kind to have me on in January or something like that of 2020. And I'm delighted to have you as my guest here at Salesforce.
1: Yeah, I'm delighted to be with you. So thank you, Margaret. It's wonderful. Sure. I loved your, our interview that I did with you on my podcast. It went down really well. It was a great discussion.
0: Oh, good. Well, thank you very much. The book's done pretty well. So <laughs> yeah. I want the listeners of Self Work to get to know you just a little bit. I think it's amazing that in a field where I'm sure it's very male dominated, that that's what you chose to do. And it's interesting that you have the marriage of being a neuroscientist as well as being a clinician. I would love to hear more about that.
1: Absolutely, And it, it was not still is a bit of a man's world when it comes to science and especially when it comes to neuroscience. And it started out 38 years ago with one of my neuroscience lecturers actually saying the brain can't change. And at that stage, they still spoke about the mind and the brain being separate, whereas today they kind of speak about it as the same thing when it is separate. But it was – and back in the 80s, they didn't believe that the brain could change. And it was that lecture, and I remember saying – I don't agree with that. There's, it can't be. Our life is changing all the time. So our, our mind shows up in our brain and therefore our brain is changing. So he said, well, go ahead and do research. And I said, I'm going to. Give me the worst, the most challenging population. And I started working with traumatic brain injury because there was very little research on people with traumatic brain injury because they believed that, well, if the brain's damaged, why bother working with the brain? Oh, and I wow. Saying, That's terrible. I mean, like, and as a clinician, you were being trained to teach patients to compensate. And, and I said, something's wrong here. Anyway. Fast thirty-eight. Well, fast forward. Now this was in. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but this was in South Africa, right? In South. Africa in the late 80s okay. and um, early 90s and so I did some of the first neuroplasticity research in my field where I showed that with directed mind inputs you can actually change a person's social, emotional, cognitive and intellectual functioning and change the brain and it was unheard of in that kind of field. I had patients that were written off as vegetables by neurologists. Oh. Oh. I mean that's how they used to speak in those days. Thank goodness they don't speak like that anymore or well, if they do, they won't do it around me. Um, but Um, and those kind of patients going on to get degrees and you know change their lives and it didn't happen once it happened multiple times and that's when I started realizing when we can understand our mind and we can understand how we function we can improve how we function on every level so I was working with dementia and Alzheimer's learning disabilities trauma everything and it was a man's world I was challenged everywhere and you know I was in communication pathology but in a clinical neuroscientific environment so it was kind of a blend of the two and it was a seven-year degree that they put into two years. At the time, it was a nightmare because we worked seven days a week. And you, know, you can imagine doing a seven, it was an experimental group, seven years put into four years. Now it's split back into two different degrees. But I'm so glad I did it because it propelled me into my master's, my PhD, continuing in clinical neuroscience. And then when I practiced, I practiced for 25 years, I brought in the clinical neuroscience into the communication pathology, blended them, and continued researching at the same time. And fast forward to now, now I write books and do podcasts and lecture around the world and, and, and have apps and teach people how to manage their mind. And that's, you know, that's where it's gone to.
0: One of my favorite quotes It's one of your shorter ones. You said, you're not a broken or defective brain. I loved that quote. To me, you were giving a strong message about challenging the medical model of mental illness. It reminded me a little bit of a seminar that I heard of Bessel van der And it also reminded me a little bit of Dan Siegel's work. name it To tame it, I think it's his kind of catchphrase. So can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, thank you for bringing that up, and um, I really appreciate it. I've got a couple of models here, so for your listeners, I'm holding up a model brain. Oh, okay. And- I always do this because when people see this, what I want to say is that you're not your brain, that your brain is something that your mind shows up in. And your brain is extremely complex, but it is always changing. It's never the same. The the structure of your brain is moment by moment, of every day is different. We can then change the structure of the brain in a a direction that's more healthy. So that's neuroplasticity, the ability of us Mm. to change our brain. So the reason I put that... Can you repeat that again?
0: Neuroplasticity
1: is... Necessity is the fact that the mind can change the brain. The fact that the brain is not fixed. It's changeable. can't change on its own and that's really important. But if I had a dead person next to me and I was holding up a dead brain, the brain wouldn't do anything. But you and I now, if I linked us both up, set us up on a QEEG or an fMRI, we would see a lot of activity in our brain because we are alive. So what is the difference between a dead brain and a an alive brain? So a dead brain will do no changing, just going to disintegrate. But in a live brain, in a, in a person who's alive is constantly changing. So based on that concept... Um, we need to then have another narrative around mental health because over the last 40 years I've watched the trajectory where we've gone from mental health always been badly handled I mean that we do know there's been periods in history where it's been okay but we were going through a pretty good period in the 80s where we saw the mind and the brain are separate and we looked at the narrative of the person and we had more team approaches to dealing with issues as opposed to now which is as we got more neuroscientific we became very neuro reductionistic and all around brain 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 and everything was brain-based learning, brain structures and structures, biomedical model. And so suddenly now in order for um, the the whole concept of people battling with life became a medical thing. And, and so it became like cancer, and diabetes, as you know, that whole history. And so people still today will talk about, oh, well, you treat your diabetes or you treat a broken arm, therefore you must treat your mental Ill- illness in the same way. But they're not the same thing. And when you do that, you do a disservice to the person and to what the person is going through. And so the current model is it says that, well, you are depressed, you have clinical depression because of X, Y, and Z symptom. And then if you say, well, why have I got those symptoms? Because you've got clinical depression. Well, why, why do you know? got depression because of those symptoms, it's called a tautology. And then the whole thing that will come past that after that will be well it's in your brain your brain made you do it so your brain gene the genetic functionality of your brain's wrong there's something wrong with your brain because they've spent billions trying to map people's emotions onto the brain which has been a pointless exercise you can't do that because you're all so different so and your brain is is responding as a whole organ all the time so so what they're saying now is that okay if you've got mental illness you've got a broken brain and you've got broken neurotransmitters and you're missing something you're missing some serotonin there's no science behind that Us is humans are thinking, feeling and choosing, we're using our mind, we're responding to life. And with technology, we can actually see the response in the brain. I have to tell you
0: that just as a clinician and knowing so well what you call the non-conscious mind i've always called it unconscious but i loved your distinction between no it's you're unconscious when you're under anesthesia or something like that or when you're dead i guess Uh, but you know the non-conscious i even started using it myself i thought wow that's a great concept the fact that you can see on what you call a QEEG, which I think you probably need to explain to people what that it's, is, that you can see the non-conscious mind. You can see it. It's unreal. It's, it, and I mean, can, I was just fascinated. I, in fact, I have to say to you, I closed your book and I thought, in my next life, I want to come back as a
1: neuroscientist because <laughs> 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 I would love to actually watch that. It's phenomenal to see um, the action that someone, as I always say, if someone's dead, there's no action, but when someone's alive, we see changes in blood flow. We see changes in oxygen. We see changes in the energy frequencies. So the mind is showing up in the brain, and and the brain is responding. So what you're picking up with technology is simply the response of the brain. So it's not that that, that you have a broken brain if you're battling with mental issues. Is that if you um, if you have an adverse circumstance. You experience it with your mind, it shows up in your brain because we use our brain to be able to actually store that experience in a way that we can then speak about it and experience it. So we need our brain and our body for our mind to work through but a brain and a body need the mind for it to actually do anything. So if you look at our psychoneurobiology, so I study psychoneurobiology, mind-brain-body connection, mm-hmm. as opposed to just mind-body connection or mind-brain connection, mind-brain-body. So when we talk about um, the, the non-conscious mind Um, hang on, there were three questions. The first thing is that you're not a broken brain because when you have an adverse circumstance, that experience is processed through your mind, into your brain, and then it it changes the brain. The brain responds on a structural level because of the genetic changes that will happen because of the energy frequencies that it stimulates. So the simplest way, then I'll come into what the QEG is. I'm going to show you two trees. Okay, so here's a little healthy green tree. You all should see this. It's a a real tree. She's holding up. And that's what thoughts look like. So when we talk about the brain changing and experiences growing in the brain, I'm talking about you growing trees. Mm -hmm. As you're listening to me now, Our mind, our our ability to think and feel and choose, which is also an energy force around us and through us. When someone dies, they weigh less because that energy actually goes. So that energy force is through us giving the brain life. And that's what you're using to process what I'm saying. You're thinking, feeling, and choosing at 400 billion actions plus a second. Can you say that again?
0: Because that's another astounding fact
1: in the book. It's actually more. It's it's about 400 billion actions per second. The brain is then responding on, on an electric. Electromagnetic, neurochemical, and genetic level, and the interesting thing about this thought is that it's got like a tree's got a root, and you've got branches.
0: You say the roots are actually the non-conscious mind. No, right? no, the
1: roots with this all's in the non-conscious and conscious. So it's oh, all okay. In, okay. So it's it, just think of the structure first, and I'll explain the the non-conscious. The non-conscious works twenty-four-seven. So our non-conscious mind is working. 24 seven at the moment our conscious mind is working with an unconscious mind together and together they are taking this information I'm saying pushing it in the brain and this whole thing is happening and the the, the first the roots grow which is the words that we're saying and then the interpretation how you understand this grows simultaneously based on, on other experiences so we are converting At very high speeds what we experience what we hear say read etc into our brain with our minds with our non-conscious working with our conscious into the brain and that that causes a reaction and there's a product that results and that product is a tree and that tree is a thought and the thought is made branches
0: and And i I thought this was so interesting too that you say that those thoughts, those, those physical things, that, that energy is found in the brain, it's found in the non-conscious, and it's found at a cellular level. Exactly. And that's why it's so literally that trauma literally makes you sick.
1: Well, mean, that's, it, exactly, yeah, at mm-hmm. exactly the point. You, you're quite right.
0: But this explanation of cellular memory and cellular thoughts or thoughts stored in the cells just made so much sense to me because I see that every day with trauma. I see people physically ill from what they're remembering.
1: Absolutely, and that's because what they've gone through isn't a nice green tree. What they've gone through is a toxic change in the brain. So right. there's a the toxic tree. So the root system would be the experience of the abuse, whatever the trauma is, whatever the trauma is, and whatever that's very complex. Anything that's adverse is trauma, as we know. And trauma is is ranges on a, a scale of severity but it looks different in the brain so it's also an experience also processed by the mind also goes into the brain causes the same reaction proteins build and hold the data but the origin is the root is the origin story that's the roots of the tree so there's all the data that's what happened that's all the toxic trauma this is the distorted processing as you're having the trauma and this is your interpretation of what you had Of what happened to you and that shows that's built into your brain it's all distorted proteins distorted chemicals so that creates a um your brain doesn't align with your brain function the mind puts the three together so the body brings up the physical feeling the brain then connects that with the, the data provides the data and the which is literally the emotions what happened the interpretation and then the mind puts it all together and we feel it as this holistic experience. So when we talk about trauma, this is creating a toxic response in the brain because it's the proteins don't fold nicely. This one, the proteins are folding nicely. The roots of this are good. The branches are good. This is a happy memory. This okay. is trauma and this is terrible. And the immune system says, Hey, that's threatening survival. So the immune system sends out T lymphocytes and B lymphocytes and we get inflammation and our homocysteine levels go up. And I looked at telomeres in my research, which are the ends of chromosomes and they a proxy for how we're managing our mind and our mental health. So if we've got trauma, our telomeres will not be undealt with trauma. It will affect our telomeres, which will affect the cells of our body, which make up the organs and the systems. So if we cumulatively don't deal with our trauma, that then increases the vulnerability of the entire brain and body to illness by 35 to 98%. So this has to be dealt with. And you can't just chop the head off. Like, you know, if you go into a garden of weeds, you can't just chop the head off. The weeds will grow back. You have to actually read the signals that this is telling you and go from the signal to the interpretation, to the processing, to the root and deconstruct and reconstruct. And that takes time.
0: So let's talk about the actual method you talk about in the book, because it has five different components of mind management. Um, First you gather, then you reflect, write, reassess, and there's an active reach, which I preach this to my patients that you've got to do something. You have to make an, you have to take action. But anyway, I I would love for you to talk a little bit about each one of those components.
1: Okay, so those components are no, not a quick fix, number one. Number two, yeah. they're based on solid theoretical foundation. I developed a theory 38 years ago, and they've been tested clinically and scientifically mm-hmm. for 38 years. And I'm constantly updating them. So, yeah. my most recent clinical trials are in there. So, what I try to do is to understand this process that I've spoken about. How does the thought form? And then, if it's formed, how can I break it? Up? How can I get yes. rid of it? how do, how do I, I get, get at it? it where I can begin to exactly. reconstruct it? Exactly. You want to deconstruct and reconstruct because a lot of therapies, and you know this with your background training as well, like CBT and those kind of things, are taking that thought, recognizing you need another thought. This is a bad thought. But if you don't deconstruct this, it never goes away. So there's no matter no matter how many gratitude statements, positive affirmations, CBT techniques you do, if you don't actually deal with this and 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 really pull it up by its roots, you you're going to be going around the mountain constantly. You're going to go in circles. So what I try to do was to to understand how can we put all this together? How can we help a person find these, deconstruct them, reconstruct them, and in that process, I also and actually I learned that second the. First, I asked that question and I learned how to do that after I learned how to first build the brain. When I realized, okay, if I'm going to fix up any mess in my brain. If I'm going to do any housekeeping in my brain, I'm going to first have to increase the resilience of the brain. But The brain is also very limited in energy and so is the conscious mind. The brain and the conscious mind are very, very limited in energy, whereas the non-conscious mind just never stops. And in the non-conscious mind, we, which goes 24-7, we have all these Every single experience that we've ever had from a certain point in the womb to the age you're at now stored as these trees in three, in three versions, tree version, um, wave version in our mind, and genetic version in our body. So our unconscious has three places where it stores all this information. And then as you as a conscious person, as you go through life, you draw on it from the body, the brain, and the mind, and, and that's how you're functioning.
0: So, let me ask you to people who are listening going, oh, I don't know about this. What about this 90, you know, 90% of my brain function is my non-conscious mind? Um, can you help people understand that?
1: Absolutely. Your brain is a physical organ. And as I said, if you're dead, it does nothing. The fact that you're alive, you're making this brain respond. So you actually make your brain respond, but the mind can't do anything without the brain and the body. So it's a a very important relationship between the two. So what I just based, just think of that. Just think of the fact that you're alive and you've got all these changes. You feel the physical changes in your body when you're anxious or worried or whatever. You can actually getting older. older. (laughs) Exactly. So we we feel that. So that's an example of mind showing up in the brain. The mind shows up in the brain, and the mind is driving the But now with our mind, we have this messy mind and um, a wise mind and the messy mind is how we do life and it's totally okay we're supposed to be messy because within the messiness you learn you grow you repair you learn but we've got this thing with the wellness movement and positive psychology and religion and that you've just got to be perfect all the time and that emotions are bad things or toxic or whatever but they're not when you're feeling very depressed or anxious or frustrated or whatever that's your mind you're feeling that your mind is experiencing that that isn't doesn't mean that you have a brain disease that means that you are Actually, that that you can't have depression. Now, listen to this very carefully. You cannot have depression. You can have cancer. You can have diabetes, but you cannot have depression because depression is not an it. Depression is an emotional warning signal. It's a messenger filled with information for you to help you. So shift your perspective and say, I don't have clinical depression. I am very depressed because of something or some, a whole bunch of some things.
0: Well, and, and Oprah has made that point in her new book, What, what Happened to You? You know, it's, it's all about the the sum of that experience creating things for you uh, in your cells, in your unconscious mind or non-conscious mind, as you call it. And, you know, I, I was floored. You said something in the book. I was happily floored because I have said to my patients, with anxiety especially, you know, anxiety is your unconscious, what I call your unconscious mind sending up flares to your conscious mind. It's signaling there's something wrong. Do something about it. And I I read your statement, which is very similar to mine. I went wow, <laughs> how have we come to the same conclusion? And she's a neuroscientist and I'm a psychologist. It's, so. logical.
1: it's totally logical. It's logical because we know we've been so conditioned by the last 40 years teaching that if you don't feel right, there's something wrong with you. You have a disease. And that's why that model, the biomedical model works for the body and brain physically, but it doesn't work for the mind. What works for the mind is for us to realize that life every day has challenges, which we all know. And every single adverse circumstance is being processed into your brain, your body, and your mind and affecting how you're functioning. So the way you show up is because of something, as you've, as we both saying in Oprah's book or whatever, and our instinct. We know that that's not who I am. Now, logically, we know that. But when it comes to diagnosis and treatment, that's thrown out the door. And people simply look at symptoms and they get a label. And initially, that's, I always call it a gift that's, that's empty. So you get this gift and you think, okay, that's the reason why I'm feeling like this. And there's a sense of, an initial sense of, of peace. But then it's it's an empty gift because you open it, now what? And it, there's all the stigmatizing that comes with it, there's all the limitations, there's a whole, you shift your whole perspective, your whole brain doesn't work like it should work, because, and all your body and all your mind, because now your mind has taken this message and has got this now, this toxic view of yourself that there's something wrong with you. I mean, there isn't anything wrong with you. You are amazing because that's the core for you are a wise mind, wired for love. We see this in the neuroscience. We talk about neuro- psychoneurobiology, being, um, of ha- having, being literally being wired for love. There's no design in our body to make us crash. The design of our bodies to make us function. The design of our mind is for us for survival. So your non-conscious mind spends 24-7 helping you survive and your and working with your physical brain and body to help you survive. A.k.a. the immune system will work for you and tell you, hey, wake up, your your GI system, your enteric nervous system, all of those are signals, including the emotions, including your behaviors, these four categories of signals that are telling us, that are working for us. Mind, brain and body produce four signals that work for us. And if we know how to tune into them, we can then say, okay, I am showing up in this way because of, and I can then become very analytical, use my wise mind and start tracking back. There's my pattern. There are the signals. The signals are coming from the tree. Imagine this tree sending out like a little weird, if it's this ugly sulfuric tree and it's sending out sulfuric, whatever analogy you need, um, or like a volcanic tree and it's sending out a volcanic sort of smoke or lava. Those are the things you want to pay attention to. And I talk about people becoming thought detectives and going from… Now say that again, thought what? A thought detective. You think Thought what detectors. It, you think okay. what detective. You think a detective what they detective. do. A detective will take a clue and will find out what is the reason why. What do the clues mean? So what are our clues? Our clues are our emotions like depression, anxiety, frustration, irritation, irritation guilt, condemnation, joy, happiness, up and down, one minute this, one minute that. All of those are messengers. Then our behaviors are another signal. And then so what we're doing? Irritable, withdrawn, not sleeping. And then our body GI symptoms. That's a very common, quick one because of the enteric nervous system, mind, sure. brain, brain, gut that you mentioned earlier on. But quite on a quantum level, our entire body is being affected. So it doesn't just work through each system. It's also a body-wide thing. Um, and then you look at your um, your your um, perspective. So you've gone from emotions to. How am I, what am I feeling? Depression. What's my body feeling? GI symptoms. What are my behaviors? Irritable. And what's my perspective? Life sucks. Those are. Life sucks. That's correct. So there's four signals that are coming from something that are showing up in patterns and your pattern is that you're just like not coping you're feeling overwhelmed or like you just whatever whatever it is whatever the pattern is that's dominant that's bringing you to therapy or bringing you to a point where you just feel like you can't cope anymore so you start with a pattern you go to those four signals and then all the time you're kindly telling yourself hey that's not who i am say is- the four
0: signals again if you don't mind caroline just a second
1: but it's to look at the emotions emotions okay First, on emotions like depression, anxiety, sadness, the, melancholy, just whatever, yeah. disappointment. All of it. I have a whole um, emotional list in the book. Can I have mm-hmm. a little? I remember that key that you can you, know, you can analyze what level it's on. It just helps people. Then the second category are your behaviors. What are you doing? That's different. You know, are you are you normally very extroverted? and now you're introvert. Or are you, introverted? Are, you norm- are you crying? Normally, you know, everyone cries, and crying's good. But maybe you cry more. You know, that kind of thing. What are your behavior changes? in your life that are disrupting you and so you become very analytical and uh, as you look at those and the third one is your body symptoms GI symptoms or heart palpitations or a lot of tension in your shoulders or whatever and then perspective signals attitude mindset life sucks I think
0: it. that's one that probably a lot of people don't really look at is that perspective attitudinal issues no
1: what people do and I've done so much work in this area is, is that there's so much so much psychology out there and I'm like, criticizing psychology. I've done years of psychology too. Um, There's so much stuff on the internet. There's so many words. There's so much mixing up between emotions and depression and clinical depression there's just so much stuff out there that it becomes very hard for people to where do i start what do i do so what i've tried to do is to simplify the process to say go from signals pattern to signal to the interpretation to the processing to the root and you use the five steps to do that and do it over time because that's where the neuroscience also comes in you're not going to do that once or have one therapy session or even 30 therapy sessions or three years of therapy, if you don't work in proper cycles, you will not rewire your brain. So you will then, what I've seen so much happening so much in, um, in therapies is that carryover is massively um, ineffective. They're great in therapy but they don't carry over very well into it. it's been a constant It's not kind of a people.
0: generalization of what happens in therapy to their real life. Mm-hmm.
1: It's real life. To carry over into real life is extremely slow or doesn't happen like it should happen and it's very frustrating for a patient. So I've also try to tackle that and a lot of that comes from not working in cycles that rewire your brain properly. So if I know what my root is and I know what I want to be and I'm starting to work towards that goal which is a sort of standard practice I'm going to reconceptualize it but if I don't do it properly over the right amount of time, I won't wire this out of my brain and I won't wire this in and I won't stabilize it. The other thing is, I mean, like for example, if you do find this and you do rewire, it takes you about 21 days to deconstruct this whole thing, get it out, dig it out upend this and reconstruct this into something that you can handle to take the sting out of it. I mean, it, what happened to you never goes away. What, what happened to you never disappears, but you mm-hmm. can change how it plays out in you. So that happened to you, but it doesn't have to stay looking like this. You can make it work like this. You never forget the past, but you change how you, how you respond to it. it still make yeah. you sad. So you but must it, be a, a,
0: a true advocate for EMDR.
1: Anything that works in the on its own won't work. It has to go with it. Neurofeedback. Neurofeedback, a talk therapy, um, but in cycles. What I Mm -hmm. have a problem with is not work. People don't work in the the proper neuroscience cycles because they're not trained. If you don't, if you if you do EMDR, (laughs) let me show you. If you do EMDR with someone and you do it for twenty-one days, let's say three weeks, because your brain and body heal in, in. sort of little groups of three weeks you're going to have a patient find potentially find the, the issue and let's say it's mdr or talk therapy or psychotherapy whatever you do act therapy whatever you do whatever approach or combination or whatever and let's say you do get to the root can you see that okay your relationship issues are coming from the fact that we now see you were abused by um x in childhood you start working through you start seeing in whatever by day 21 you'll have a new reconstructive. Look how small it is. Now, this has got to compete with trillions of other memories inside of your head. And this thing is newly uprooted, so it's gone. Because energy doesn't, you, once you've done this, you don't have this anymore. Cognitive behavior therapy, for example, tries to make this go to that, but you can't, and that's why it doesn't work. You can't have two versions of the same thing coexisting. That's why it'll, it'll be, it's temporary, and then it disappears, and people go back to the old narrative. That's generally, if you look at the analysis of CBT techniques, I love them. But if they're used in the wrong place, you're going to go back to the old narrative. This is going to regrow. So if you want to avoid this regrowing. You want to use techniques from, like, from ACT or CBT, so cognitive behavior therapy techniques. I mention that because it's so commonly used. People can find so much on it on the internet. And so many people know about cognitive behavior therapy and that kind of stuff. It works when you have at step number five. But let me, let me not confuse the issue. If you've done this work over three weeks, you're going to have a new little tree, but it's the size. This thing's not going to do anything for you. All you're going to have is, I know that's how I want to be. And that's great. That's my new narrative. Mm -hmm. But it's not strong. So when you're triggered, this is not strong enough to move from the non-conscious mind. It's got to compete with trillions of other memories. So what's going to happen is you still remember this. It's not there again. But you can regrow this just as easy as you got rid of it if you don't make this strong. And that's what happens when people don't go for the proper cycle. So there's no cookie cutter.
0: Is there some scientific... Or neuroscientific basis for that seven-day cycle?
1: It's twenty-one-day cycle. It's not. Well, seven. twenty-one, but exponentially, oh, it's. It was, yeah. The twenty-one has been and the number that's been a must. People say it's twenty-one days to form a habit. Is very few people who have actually done research on how long it takes to actually rewire the brain. And it's always just been assumed it's 21. So that's what I started testing. There's only honestly about six or seven studies that I could find in the world. And I put them in the book of anyone looking at the timing involved in actually changing. We all know how it takes. And so the average of those studies is around about 65 days, 60, 65 days, which is three cycles of 21. We know that the body, if you get a blister, it takes about three weeks, for example, for the stem cells to form in the immune system to do it. And then, if it's like a, um, a bigger injury, you'd have multiple cycles. That's all three weeks. So, three weeks seems to be a key healing cycle. But when it comes to changing a thought pattern, sure, you need. Um, what we found was that at day twenty-one, you've got what we call gamma peaks, but you've only got that little tree. It's it's the patient has gone from, or well, the subject or person has gone from "I am depression" to "Ah." I am depressed because of, right. and I know where I want to go, and I'm even more depressed now. That's very common. Exactly, gets worse before it gets better. Exactly, pigment effect. So we <laughs> saw that it's called a pigment effect gamma peaks. We saw that happening at day 21, very, very significantly. So, and I'll talk quickly about the. QEG in a moment. But when you go further, when you go to day 42, that's when you start seeing, that's another cycle added on. You start seeing another shift. By the time you get to day 63, you're starting to see an actual behavior change. So the timing for a habit to form seems to be closer to 63 days, nine weeks. And you know what? The point we have not
0: made is that you really talk about using this mind management technique that you outline in the book, the gather, reflect, write, reassess yes. and that that is what you do for 63 days. Yes. That that is the minimum that, that you do that yourself spending five to 30 minutes a day doing that or yeah, yes. about five minutes per, yeah.
1: About 15 to 45 minutes a day and it's five steps that you go through. Each step is very specific. Each step, as you do step one, you don't want to skip any of the steps. You want to go in that order because that that is how you change the brain. So as you do step one, Different things happen in your brain, mind, and body. Step two, different things happen, and if you skip, you're not going to get to take advantage of that. So your brain and body work in a very systematic way. So what you're doing is you're driving your mind in a very systematic way to drive the neuroplasticity of your brain. So that's the science behind it. So when you do the five steps, all of them are familiar steps, but they're done in a very specific way. Yes, they are. And the grouping and the timing of those, and you do those daily. So you do the five steps daily. about 15 to 45 minutes for the first 21 days because that's the real becoming aware deconstructing reconstructing then for the next 42 days you spend about five minutes a day you still do the five steps but it's five minutes a day i've got an app as well that goes with a book called neurocycle that people can download from itunes and google play and um that i literally give you therapy i literally walk you through using audio and video and scripts and what is the app entitled again called neurocycle. Neurocycle. So this the five simple steps are called the neurocycle. The second part of the book is all about the neurocycle.
0: Mm-hmm. Where do you think therapy comes in in this cycle, this neurocycle? Where Where do you think is is it in the reassessment
1: um, stage or therapy? Therapy, is, is, therapy, coaching, counseling—three different things, as we know, are essential. They, this is not going to replace it; it's going to enhance it. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, that you. Uh, Think of it this way. You live with yourself 24-7. You see the therapist once a week or twice a week or your coach or whatever or combination. You you wake up at night and you're the one having the panic attack. You're not going to phone your therapist at 2 in the morning. So you've got to know how to manage your mind. You're using your mind all day long. Your mind never stops. Think of it like this. You can go three weeks without food, three days without water, three minutes without oxygen, but not even you don't even go three seconds without your mind. So what I'm advocating is to learn to use the neurocycle to manage your mind. 24/7 so when you consciously awake you' are consciously neurocycling all the time because once you get the hang of it you can just you can be it's it's thinking oh mystery. yeah
0: it's it's. that's what I'm saying I was thinking about it this morning and, and realizing gosh I I have that part down, <laughs> at least the, the uh, yeah. categorization of
1: it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and some people will. Then, then, when you doing specific trauma work, I also recommend, on top of just the moment by moment stuff that happens, like someone sends you an email and throws you, or someone has an argument, you can use the neurocycle to bring you back on track, get the neurochemistry under control, get your. It, so those five steps help get your mind, brain, body back under control, so that you have wisdom and you can function. At the same time, you can allocate. I recommend everyone allocates. For the rest of your life, you're going to have traumas that you're dealing with. You're going to have old ones, new ones, the ones that you're currently dealing with. So just allocate a 15-minute block when you're getting ready in the morning and work on one toxic thought for 63 days. And that's where people, and if you need multiple cycles, do multiple cycles. So it's so often as you're working through a trauma, after 63 days, you realize, okay, that's only that route. There's still this, 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 there's still sure, sure, So You sure. just keep going. But that way of thinking is a discipline. Here's the argument for it. If you... Think of it, 63 days' time, if you say, I'm too busy, I can't do this, this is too complicated, I can't, fine, you can make that choice, but your mind is then going to stay messy because your mind doesn't stop. Your mind is still working. So if you work, if your mind is not managed, if you're just staying in the messy zone and only repairing now and then, that accumulates over time. So what I'm saying is that become disciplined in your mind. My, the neurocycles, is how you can learn to manage your mind. So then 63 days' time, you are way more efficient than you were now. And so it's giving 15 minutes of your day, the first 63 days is always the most difficult. After that, you get into the system. And then the carryover effect into your day, into your life is phenomenal. We've put, I mean, I've got the scientific evidence. We've put millions of people using this now. And I show that when you do this, you become about 81% more efficient at just managing your mind. Sure. So Before
0: we run out of time, because I know you have a plane to catch, literally, you have a plane to catch. Mm-hmm. There is, And I'm probably going to crucify this word, but it kept coming up in the book. And I thought it was a beautiful, beautiful concept of healing. It's a Japanese term called kintsugi. Yes. Am I saying that horribly He's incorrectly? Yes. Oh, okay. Can you talk about that? Because I thought that was just a very poignant and meaningful uh, way of thinking about. Yeah, no, it's
1: beautiful. If you think of life um, at the core of you, are, oh, you're amazing. But life happens and messes you up. So the Japanese have a principle, and if, if something breaks, like if you have a beautiful vase and it falls to the ground and shatters into a thousand pieces, everyone else will just kind of sweep it away and toss it. They don't. They will meticulously pick up every single piece and they rebuild it with gold lacquer so at the end of the day you have this beautiful new vase with all these gold lines and that's reconceptualization so i use that concept for reconceptualization so here is your life shattered in a thousand pieces so instead of just trying to sweep this under the carpet because these are volcanic they will not go away i'm saying pick up the pieces and rebuild into something that's beautiful so all the gold in here is the pain of your story but it's been shaped differently it's now beautiful your your trauma has turned into your and not that trauma is beautiful but the way that you've learned to cope that is what's beautiful so you're looking at that at that gold as the as the life experience the character you're honoring what has gone through and that's what they're really doing they're honoring the fact that that is a beautiful piece of create beautiful creation and that because it's shattered it doesn't mean it's still a beautiful creation just hand. i love that
0: that's like it's it's like your wrinkles
1: <laughs> but you
0: know and because it is it th- those things those vulnerabilities those traumas it's they're there like you said a few minutes ago they're not going to go away but they can be interwoven and that's what makes it so beautiful is that you have all of that is woven together in in a really um
1: and we know this instinctively, Margaret, and this is what's interesting. Is we know this instinctively, but the narrative is saying if you have depression, there's something wrong with you. As soon as, as, soon as that happens, people lose hope. They lose value. Mm-hmm. I want people to know that you are, that really, as a scientist, you are wired for love. Literally, Everything's about survival. But life messes oh, it beautiful. Up. It's okay. It's okay to be a mess. Manage the mess. Be the mess. Accept the mess. Yes, I'm depressed. Yes, I'm this. Yes, I'm that. That's okay. I can repair it. Sure. I can restructure it, you know. I can reconceptualize it, and that's and how and, these and are
0: integrate it into my understanding of myself and my I life. Yeah.
1: Get that. So here, what I'm doing is I'm adding a system. I'm adding a scientific system. I always talk about in summary, like maybe this will help people understand. The neurocycle is like Amazon. It's an Amazon for the mind. Amazon is a, the most phenomenal system that you can deliver anything, anywhere, anytime. It works. That's what the neurocycle does. It is a system that works. You can deliver anything from your mind, into your brain, into your body, anywhere, at any time. You can deliver stuff in, you can take stuff out. So it's a system for how you can manage your mind and then when you go to therapy, you're more prepared for therapy, you've done the work, you're managing your mind, you take the lessons from therapy and you keep neurocycling through so it's not that you do, it's not replacing, it's making the therapy and it gives you a, a
0: structure to do the work as you said, yes. so I want to show the book for the, because I'll probably put this on YouTube, so this is the book, Cleaning Up Mental Mess and um, I just thoroughly enjoyed talking I've learned so much from your book and I am going to use some of your concepts myself and because I I can see how it would work it makes common sense it makes emotional sense it makes rational sense and it makes perceptive sense it makes my my gut gets it my <laughs> you know uh, I get it at a lot of a lot of levels at a higher level and at a deeper
1: level so I love that it's like it's what you what you saying it's like it's, it's first course. If you, all I'm doing is giving, do whatever you do, but here's a vehicle, the system, that'll make it work more effectively. And there's a level where you can do it on your own and then you can do it with your therapist. So it's not like it's some other thing to add to. It's how you make things work.
0: Thank you so very much, Dr. Caroline Leaf. Self-Work listeners, it's cleaning up your mental mess. And she also has an app called NeuroCycle. And you can use that if you really need or just desire even further help. And she's got other books, too. She's quite the author. So thank you, Caroline, so very much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Self Work. I always want to deeply thank those of you who take the time to actually write, especially a written review. Ratings are great, and I can see them. But someone recently wrote on Amazon about Perfectly Hidden Depression. Dr. Margaret Rutherford, this is KG. Your book really shined a light on my life and helped me realize just how I managed to suppress my pain and trauma throughout my life. With your help, I have found the ability to be vulnerable and I'm now getting therapy and working on healing. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. I've told you before that one of the chief honors that I hear is when someone says, I listened to self-work or I read your book and I'm now into therapy. That puts a huge smile on my face. But I also want to thank someone, Jim20216, who left me a very short but meaningful review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for the amazing content. I'm halfway through the book, and I highly recommend it. Thank you so much again to Jim. Appreciate that. There also may be something a little odd happening on Apple Podcasts. If you've left a written review lately, make sure you go back and see if it's been published because I don't think some of them have been. If you have the time, it would mean a lot. Thanks so very much. Again, Perfectly Hidden Depression is my book. I'm recording this on November the 1st, which, believe it or not, the book came out two years ago today, and I could not be more pleased With all the feedback I have gotten from people who have said, boy, this really spoke to me and I haven't ever seen this anywhere. And I haven't heard it talked about in particular, my need for control and my inability to process through or work through things that happened to me in my childhood quite this way. So I'm very moved by those kinds of comments. Again, you can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford dot with a question or a comment about the book, about something you'd like for me to comment on here on the podcast. I'd love to do that. My website is also drmargaretrutherford.com and I'd love to have you there. All you have to do is subscribe and then you'll get a weekly newsletter which contains my blog post and my podcast for that week, as well as any news that may be going on in the background or in the foreground. I have something new that I'd love to invite you to do, if you go over to firesidechat.com slash Margaret Rutherford, that's firesidechat.com slash Margaret Rutherford, I'm actually starting a new kind of podcast over there called Self-Work Chat. We'll take some of the topics that we talk about here on Self-Work Podcast, but this is an interactive podcast, so you literally can talk with me real time about something that's on your mind. So if you go to firesidechat.com slash Margaret Rutherford, you'll see it at the top of the page. Request access to Fireside. That's all you have to do. It does require an iPhone, but they're working on Android and other kinds of access. But I'd love to have you there. I'm trying to build an audience over there, and I'd love for you to be included in that audience so you and I can actually chat. So once again, thank you so much for being here, and thanks to Dr. Caroline Leaf, and thanks to AG1. I'm Dr. Margaret. And this has been Self Work.